I've been following Jesus and reading the Bible for almost 20 years. And let me tell you, there is some scary stuff in there. Did Jesus say that there will be believers doing things in his name that will eventually end up in hell? Is it possible to deceive yourself into thinking you're a Christian without actually being saved and born again? So on this video, we dive into one of the scariest passages in all of scripture. Bruce Lawn. One of the scariest passages in all the scripture, we're going to jump right in. We're going to examine what this is saying. Is this something you should be afraid of? Now, for starters, I think it's important to note that Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fear can sometimes be a good thing. There can be a healthy fear. There could be a healthy reverence for God. There could be a healthy fear for just the laws of gravity. Don't climb up too high and jump off without a parachute, right? So fear isn't necessarily a bad thing. It is an emotion uh, of your body's way to let you know that there is danger looming. You need to back up, right? And so I want to just acknowledge that first. But when we look at this passage, I'll go straight to it. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse uh, 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, and then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are people who are doing things in Jesus's name. There are people who cast out demons in Jesus's name, who do mighty works in his name, prophesy even in his name, and they don't get in. <laughs> they believe that they are doing things in the name of Jesus. And so what, what does that mean? I think self-deception is obviously the biggest form of deception when you think you are doing something for God, but you aren't. So before we jump in and unpack this passage and, 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 and read it through some other relevant passages, we first have to back up and say, where is Jesus in this conversation? And Jesus is actually doing his sermon on the Mount. This is all one stream of consciousness uh, with that starts in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6, the end of Matthew chapter 6, he takes us to this part, which many of us are familiar with. Matthew chapter 6, uh, we'll, put, we'll read 33 and 34, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So that's what Matthew 6 says, and many of us know that passage because that's the passage of Jesus. Like, stop trying to worry and consume yourself with stuff that you can't control. Ultimately, God's going to provide. And so Matthew chapter 7 opens up, and this is all one stream of consciousness. Sometimes when we are looking at Scripture, we forget that the chapters and the verses got added way after. So Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, this is all one talk he's giving, okay? And so let's pick up at the beginning of Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 7, and let's see if we can figure out where this takes us. Matthew 7, this is the passage passage that a lot of you guys like to drop uh, in the comment section without fully understanding what it's about. <laughs> Matthew uh, 7 verse 1, he says, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Some Christians think that don't judge is one of the 10 commandments. 
that's not what it says. It says, judge not, that you may not be judged. Don't judge, or you're going to be judged, for what the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So it's saying, if you judge, the same judgment is going to be extended to you, okay? And then it goes into judging hypocritically, okay? Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Okay, so that word hypocrite means actor. You actor. You're acting as if you don't have bigger issues than you're being nitpicky about. You're, this isn't making any sense that you're being nitpicky about this speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your eye, right? You are an actor. You are a hypocrite, okay? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then it goes on to say, verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them uh, underfoot and turn to attack you. Then it goes into verse 7, ask and it will be given. To you, seek and you will be fine. Knock and it will be open for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. It's one of my favorite passages because it kind of illustrates this persistence that we are to have. Verse 9. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting question. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good, give good things to those who ask him? So here, it almost sounds like he's echoing some of the end of Matthew chapter 6, but he goes on and he says, hey, ask and will be given. He's, he's encouraging us to, prayer, to pray. And he also uh, makes this statement of humanity. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts. So here we know that, hey, the view of many humans is not good. They are evil, according to Jesus, and evil people still know how to give good gifts to their children. Evil people still know how to do good things for their family, right? The golden rule, verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Okay, so if you do things that are easy, your life and your eternity will be hard. <laughs> it won't be good. So don't do what's easy. Don't always choose the path of least resistance. So verse 15, beware of false prophets. So now he's addressing false prophets, right? Who comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Okay. So false prophets are posing as as, as if they're sheep, wolves in sheep clothing. Okay. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So here lies the question of what is good fruit, right? Because if we're just talking about morality, if we're talking about morality and rule keeping, being a good person, well, goodness, there's people of other religions that don't follow the Jesus of the Bible that produce good fruit. They're moral people. They, you know, they don't cheat on their wives. They don't do anything crazy. They don't cheat on their taxes. They don't steal, right? So there's people from other faiths that are, quote, unquote, good people, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about just morals and rule keeping. 
here's the verse 21. This is a passage that many would say is a scary passage. When you read it for the first time, when I read it for the first time, I was like, holy moly, this is some naughty stuff. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? So again, these folks are doing things in the name of Jesus. They're prophesying in the name of Jesus. They're casting out demons in the name of Jesus. They're doing mighty works in the name of Jesus. Then I will say and declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So there's that lawlessness concept again of there needs to be some sort of fruit. But where's the fruit coming from? I think is the better question. And I actually think he explains it to us in verse 24. And I'm going to take us to another passage here in a moment. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does, the, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So he's telling you, hey, if you do these, these words, you put these words in practice, you're like a wise man who built his house. If you don't put these words in practice, you're playing yourself. You built your house on the sand, okay? And check out the next passage. And then Jesus finished saying these words. So now, in context of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he finishes. He finished saying these crowds. Crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their own scribes, not as their scribes. Talking about people who are false prophets. I'm talking about people who are presenting themselves as sheep, but they're really wolves. I'm talking about people who aren't practicing what my words are. They're not applying what my words are. And so they're not bearing fruit. They're not producing fruit. Okay. And the fruit isn't just it isn't just morality and good works, okay? It isn't just that. It's actually the root of the lack of works and where it's coming from. You see, because there's a lot of people that can present themselves a certain way, but if their motives and the root of it is not from the right place, then they're going to produce false works or they're going to produce works that aren't really works at all. They're more, it's all more about their glory. I'll give you guys an example. Let's go to uh, John chapter 15 and we're going to unpack this further and then we're going to jump into another passage that I think will glue it all together in terms of what this all means for the follower of Jesus. Okay, so here Jesus goes back to this fruit uh, illustration. This is John chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So Jesus is telling you, I am the vine. My father is the vine, the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there's a pruning process to following Jesus. If you're producing fruit, you're going to be pruned. That's, that's a good thing. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And then he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Who abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Okay, so he's, Matthew talks about praying and all that kind of stuff, right? By this, 
By this, check this out. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you and abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is, he says, this is my commandment that you what? Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no other than this, that someone laid down his life for his friend. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. Okay. So this whole thing is, is, is really beautiful. What Jesus is telling us is if you abide in me, you will produce fruit. But it's not just a works-based righteousness type of fruit, okay? This is a fruit that ultimately is what? What's the point of the fruit? Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. You will know them by their fruit. What is the root of the fruit? The root of the fruit is being connected to Jesus who is divine. Now, because we're connected with Jesus who is divine, then our fruit it's to ultimately glorify Jesus, that we're not trying to do it for our own glory. We're not trying to do it so that we can look fancy. We're not trying to do it so we can flex with power. We're not trying to do it so that we can manipulate people. We are trying to produce fruit as a byproduct of being connected to Jesus that ultimately brings God the glory, that he gets the glory. And the, the motivation for this and how this plays out is different then just morality. You will know them by their fruit. Oh, somebody messed up. He is going through a bad weekend. He's sinning. He's uh, he's all over. The, oh, you'll know them by their fruit. So-and-so isn't producing fruit. He must not be saved. That's not what that's saying. That's not what that's saying. That's saying that out of our out of our intimacy with Jesus, out of being born again with Jesus, we will produce fruit that will bring glory to the Father. And then he tells you, he tells you what this ultimately looks like. And he echoes this over and over, which is, if you keep my commands... You will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be full in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that what? That you love one another, <clears throat> not the way you want to love one another, not the way you think you should love one another, but that you may love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Okay? So Jesus is telling you, by the way, abide in me. Put these things in practice. I'm talking about loving people not the way you think you should love people, but the way I love people. That's 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 different than the world. That's different than, well, if you if we're just all about, you know, people being happy and being their true authentic self, you should just love everybody. Jesus isn't concerned with you being your true and authentic self. He wants you to be the self he's called you to be to bring glory to God. That's a different self. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about being who God wired us to be, walking in the purpose of ultimately knowing God and making him known to the nations by loving people the way Jesus loved people with a sacrificial love. Philippians talking about the way Jesus, thought, you know, he didn't count himself equal with God, but he laid down his life. And then he's saying, we should have the same attitude. Now, let me take you guys to another passage. This is uh, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness but it's based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says 
Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Well, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So Moses was saying, hey, there's this law, but don't be consumed with the law, right? Don't be consumed with the righteousness based on the law, because now we have a new law, which is to follow Jesus, which is to render our lives to Jesus, right? doesn't mean that we don't have a parameters that we're to live life by. There is still a moral law that we're called to live by, but that Christ fulfilled the law. And then it says right here, verse 80 says, but what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified, so he explains what, what this means. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. We're justified by what? Our belief, our faith. We are saved by grace through faith. You're justified by your belief in Jesus. And then, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the good news of Jesus. We try to keep God's law, and we were incapable of keeping God's law. So Jesus came and fulfilled the law. And because of the work on the cross, he dealt with the penalty of us not fulfilling the law. And now... He gives us new hearts so that we may put our faith in him. And then out of the overflow of that faith, we will produce fruit. It's not the fruit that saves us. If we look at this word belief, there's two words. I, I, I jump back in to the, the Greek because I wanted to dive in deeper into this verse, believe. And, and first of all, the word believe, believe is a, a verb. It is an active belief. It's not a passive belief. It's not a belief that, well, I just, I believed that Pepsi was better than Coke, but I don't even drink soda, okay? What, 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 what does that even mean? What, does, what, what, what difference does that make if you believe Pepsi is better than Coke if you don't drink soda, right? No, 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 this is a verb. This is an action word. To think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit, and place confidence in, okay? So belief, I've explained this before, is a spectrum of placing confidence in something, of the thing believed, to credit, have confidence, that word confidence again, in a moral or religious reverence. It's not a binary. It's not a, I believe or don't believe. No, no, no. It's a confidence spectrum that we place our faith in Jesus to be entrusted with a thing. Okay, so faith is placing, belief is placing your confidence in something greater than yourself. You're placing your faith in Jesus. You're placing your confidence. You're placing your trust that he is who he said he was, that he lived the life we couldn't live, that he died the death we should have died on the cross in our place, and he rose and split history in two and shook all of the world based on his bodily resurrection. We place our confidence in that. We think about all the variables. We have confidence that that happened. We believe that that happened. I want to make sure we understand what, what that means in regards to belief. So the way we, we will go back to this passage, let's go back to Matthew chapter 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay? So Jesus is saying, hey, not everyone who comes in and says these things are going to get in. So there is going to be a deception of people who think they're in, but they're not in. Why? Because they haven't truly placed their confidence in Jesus. 
Maybe they used it as a finesse. Maybe they knew it was a means to an end. These people are self-deceived and they're trying to do things. They're doing things in his name. And he says, I will declare to you to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, what you believe about the world will determine how you behave. If you believe Jesus, who he says he is, you will then behave accordingly. The great news is that this isn't by our own sheer willpower. The great news is that it's not just belief and white knuckling it and trying to be a better person. The great news is that we believe and then we get the Holy Spirit and we're transformed, we're born again, we're regenerated. We used to have a, a, a heart of stone. Now we have a heart of flesh. The things we once hated, all of a sudden we start loving like God and the Bible and church and community. It doesn't make any sense. I don't really like those things. The things that we used to love, like sin, debauchery, doing what we want, practicing lawlessness. All of a sudden we go, wait a minute. No, no, no. We don't want those things anymore. Those things are bad. Those things are self-destructive. I don't want to do those things anymore. And so it's from an overflow of a regenerated heart that we're saved by grace through faith that then we produce good fruit. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Amen. Now there's a result of works, so that no man may boast. So you're not saved by works. Can't boast about it. You, do, you didn't do anything. You just placed your faith in Jesus. Right? Now check this out. But here's where the works come in. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay? So we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, but you're not saved by your works. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin. That doesn't mean you're not going to wrestle with temptation. It doesn't mean you may not have a, 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 a season where you jack up, you mess up, you blow it. That's not what that's saying. Right? So it's not once saved, always saved. It's more so if saved, always saved. If you've been regenerated and you have a new heart and you produce fruit, and you go through a dry spell, you wander off, you start being wild. Okay, we believe that God will eventually bring you back. It's good news. God's ultimately in control. God's ultimately on the throne. That's good news, right? So this passage in Matthew 7 that many of us freak out with, um, that, that, that if we read it and we're honest, right? Holy moly, there's going to be people that think they're saved, but they're not saved. What, what in the world? What does that mean for me? What does that mean? You know what I mean? And, and that passage is talking about false prophets attempting to do things. I would, I would, my opinion is maybe they're trying to finesse the name of Jesus. Maybe they're trying to go above and beyond and do things that has nothing to do with the kingdom, right? That, that, that then we are uh, uh, putting some sauce on that. But when you really get down, when you really get down to the nitty gritty of it, you, you look and you say, wait a minute, they're not producing fruit and they don't actually believe in the Jesus of the Bible. You, you see what I'm saying? So it's not, it's, it's, it's and both. What you believe will determine how you behave. Proper theology, and theology just means the study of God. I know it sounds, sounds like a heavy word. Proper theology will create proper doxology, living our lives onto the glory of God. But I say this to say, in America, <laughs> and hear me loud and clear, and this is why some of this shit scares, there's a lot more Christians, quote-unquote Christians, Versus people who actually have been born again. And there's a lot of people that think they're saved. And they even go to church because it's a cultural thing. And they may even get baptized because it's a cultural thing. Cultural Christianity could be very dangerous, friends. 
cultural Christianity, if you just believe because me and my family just kind of always went to church and Bible Belt and you know what I mean? Because if you're just a good moral person and this is just what we do, well, it doesn't mean anything. And so a lot of this stuff we're seeing, and even the debate, once saved, always saved. What do you mean by saved? If your Christianity is cultural and we don't use the Christian because God don't got no grandkids. God don't got no grandkids. If your family's saved, that doesn't mean you're automatically saved. <laughs> right? You got you to gotta have that relationship with Jesus on your own. You got to spend that time in the scriptures getting to know him. I, I'm shocked by the amount of quote-unquote Christians that have never read through the New Testament. Bam! I'm shocked at the amount of Christians that have never read through the Gospels. We have more access to the scriptures than ever before. You mean to tell me you've never carved out 10, 15 minutes a day to read through the book that you claim is the final authority over your life? So what do we do? So, hey, take your faith seriously. Spend more time in the word than Instagram and TikTok. I remember 2006 to 2010-ish, I was in a small group Monday nights and we would go through the Bible in a year. We did it, I don't know. Half a dozen times. It was a lot. We did a lot. And it was dope. It was amazing. And, and I recommend it. But it was so much different than <laughs> going through the Bible because we just had a physical Bible. It's called a one-year Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm and Proverb. Now, I am doing it again. I got the 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 Experience Bible in YouTube. I got the, the audio Bible. I got the Experience Bible in my Audible. I have every translation inside of my, my, my U version app, NIV, ESV, NLT. I have the physical version of all the one-year Bibles everywhere around my house, NIV, the NLT, the NIV, the New King James, the ESV, right? I have so much more access, and I'm sitting there thinking through this, like, this is the easiest it's ever been to read through the Bible in a year. I, I should probably be reading through it twice a year, right? That, that, you, that, that you could just read it and have multiple access to multiple, and you could listen to it. The experience of audio Bible is, 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 is extraordinary, right? So I listen to the experience audio Bible as I'm reading the NIV. Sometimes I just pick up my NLT. Sometimes I'll jump into the ESV, right? If I'm studying, I usually go to the ESV or the New King James. So I'm saying we have so much access. We have so much access, yet we kind of coast. And that's one of the dangerous parts about cultural Christianity and just being a, 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 a good moral Christian, it's not just about morality. It's the motive behind morality. It's where is that coming from? If it's coming from the right place and you're producing fruit, praise God. If it's coming from the place of I, see, and this is how you can know. This is how you can know. Hear me loud and clear. If you examine how people of other faiths talk about their good works, it's usually in a self-righteous way to distinguish themselves from other. Hear me loud and clear. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no good guys versus bad guys. There's no us versus them. There's no in-group and out-group, okay? If you understand the gospel, <laughs> you understand that holy moly, there's no good guys versus bad guys. There is just us, bad guys, and Jesus, the good guy, okay? So other faiths and other, you're trying to distinguish yourself. We're, with the, good, we're, the, we're the righteous ones. We're the smart ones. We know what this is. We know, and it's in the world too now with a lot of the radical ideology happening all out. We're, it's, it's because we really are sophisticated and we really know the right things about this and you should think how we think. And if you don't think the way we think, you're out. No, 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 no. Our doxology, our works onto the glory of God. The reason we produce good works is not to say, I'm a Christian, I'm better than you, you freaking idiot of a sinner. You're so stupid. You're such an idiot. No, 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 no. 
I am a sinner just like everybody else. And it's because of the blood of Jesus and the transformative work of the cross in my life that my life looks different. So the motivation and the root of it is different. And I'm not doing it to try to impress the world or, or dunk on the out group. I'm doing it to the glory of God. Totally different motivation. Totally different how that plays out. Totally different the way this thing looks in the public sphere, right? You do good works and you keep them, keep them to yourself sometimes. Again, extra credit points. When Jesus is saying, do these, do these things, put these words into practice, go read on what he means by put them into practice. Go read Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6 and then into Matthew chapter 7. Go see what he means by put these words into practice. That means that even the way we do the good works shouldn't be to glorify and big ourselves up the motivation is to the glory of God and not to the uh, impress, impressment of people. Is impressment a word? I just made it a word. To the impressment of people, right? Well, then everything changes. The motivation changes, right? Your perception of people change. You don't see people as good guys and bad guys. You know we're all a mess and that Jesus came and saved us. We got to place our faith in us. And then we're just, tell, we're just beggars telling other beggars where the bread is. Oh, he got it. Jesus, he got it. Transform me. He do it for you too. He's worthy of being worshipped. Amen? So anyway, um, hopefully this is helpful. Um, extra credit points. Go read Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6 because it will help, <laughs> help make Matthew chapter 7 make way more sense. Okay? So uh, let me know what you guys think in the comments. If you guys want to go the extra mile, partner with what we're doing here. Patreon's by far the best way. It's a way to give a monthly contribution, all that good stuff. Peace. Kingstream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. Yo, thank you so much for making it to the end of this video. If you look in the description, you will find some free resources, including a free How to Study the Bible course over at MasterMyDevo.com. And if you're struggling with sin, addiction, anything like that, I put together a free course with my Christian therapist, Dr. Rudy, called Master My Habits that is helping you to form freedom-forming habits in Christ Jesus. All of that is in the description. Check out these other videos from me and YouTube recommended to you, all right?